Welcome back to the Sim Geeks podcast. We are your hosts, William Belk and David Schablock. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the orientation of the SimOps specialist, which is something both of us have had recent experience with navigating, uh, and it comes up quite frequently when talking to people in other simulation centers. Uh, so, David, I mean, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have when it comes to being an ops specialist. My role has always been more on the education slash management side. Uh, so why don't you kind of give us a quick rundown of your experience with orientations that you've been through, what you've been part of. Is there anything along the way that you're like, you know what, this was really great and I want to make sure we see it again, or this was absolutely terrible and we need to make sure that we avoid it? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about not just, you know, orientation, but onboarding in general and bringing somebody in. And you've got to have some sort of basic framework of how to approach it and how to do it because nobody has enough time for it especially if it's not an SOS onboarding, which most of the places it's an educator onboarding or something like that, they might not have the focus or the time to do it the right way. So some of it needs to be self-directed and then some of it needs to be overwatched and directed. So uh, the biggest thing is you need to have a needs assessment of the person's experiences, what they know and what they don't, because we hire people from all walks of life. You know, we try to focus on the core of AV, IT, theater and stage, medical. But sometimes we get people that are just very, very eager and motivated and they have a good attention to detail and we need to orient them to every bit of being an SOS. And when we talk about trying to find SimOps specialists, it's not easy. Everybody wants to hire somebody that is fully experienced, ready to go and just gonna hit the ground running. And the problem is that pond that we are all putting our hooks into is very, very small. And so we're all, and if you have not noticed, everywhere's hiring right now. So it's brutal. I know my employer is looking for multiple techs all over the country. So if you're looking, I might know of jobs around the country, but you're not gonna find most times that person that's fully trained, fully ready to go. And then even if they are experienced, it's trying to get them to know how to do it in your environment because even if you've been doing SOS for a long time, doing it in a different lab has completely different applications, completely different ways of doing things, and you have to let them know how to do it there. Yeah, absolutely. So I can tattle on myself really quickly, and a lot of the things you just said ring true for me as well, right? So we just hired the first two SimOps specialists for my program ever, quite literally the first time. Uh, it took me a long time. Congratulations. Oh, dude, it took me forever to convince folks that this is what was needed. Yeah. I think there's still a little bit of an uphill battle with some people that don't really understand where they fit in. But yeah, I think the biggest thing you said right there is I, everyone's looking for experienced folks, right? That was me. I was only interested in bringing in experienced folks because we don't have any sim ops to help kind of push them along their way. I wanted to bring in, especially this first batch, people that could hit the ground running. I could adapt them to our program, get them oriented to what we're doing. But ultimately I needed folks that I could trust to just run out there start working very quickly kind of on their own and so we have a rapid orientation that's going to extend over several months but the first couple of weeks was just trial by fire drinking from the fire hose and now we're moving into like all right over time let's start picking up additional projects and everything else one thing you were talking about is just getting an sos or making people understand what an sos and things like that is man that has been something that i have been thinking about and working with and actually Phil Wortham and I have talked about that a lot and we've got some different things we're working on is how to even explain it to what it is because if you don't have an SOS, I, I was having this explain this conversation at a tri-state consortium just the other day. The person turned around and they were like, what 
is an SOS. And I was like, basically the educators are the talent. They're on stage, they're singing, they're doing their thing. We're the backstage, we're the support, we're the facilitate the environment. You don't expect your singer to be able to hang lights, pull scrim, set up the audio, do all that stuff. We're the one that facilitates the environment. So yeah, that was what you said was huge. Just getting people to understand what the benefits are of taking all of that off the educator. Cause so many of these places have done it forever with one person doing it all. It's all on them. And they're the lone wolf or wolf at, and just understanding that that's not the way we want to do this. And here's why we train an educator. We want them to teach. We want them to do the onstage talent stuff. Yep. And that's exactly what we're dealing with, right? Like I have a team of excellent clinician educators who are using simulation, but unlike a few of us in the world, it's not really their identity or professional identity. That's not their main focus. It's just something they do. Right. And so it's cool, but yeah, exactly. Right. Like they're, they still don't see themselves even as simulationists. They just see sim as something that we do, even though it is 80% of our lives and what in my current role, right. Our educators spend more time in the sim lab than anywhere else. And so even convincing them like, Hey guys, we need to bring in people whose entire job is to help us run these processes, help run the mannequin, help us with programming, even something as simple as putting on moulage, setting up a room, resetting it, assist with the debrief every now and then. Cause that's another thing we're running into is, you know, because I've got educators that aren't really simulationists, they're moving that direction. They don't have a lot of debriefing experience. My sim ops are arguably better debriefers than my educators just because they've been around it more. They've seen those more formal processes. And so I like I need that help to bring people in and say, you know what, here's some things like it's not that we're not doing things correctly or that we're doing them wrong. It's that we can do them better. And these people are going to help move us along. And so I think a lot of times it, this is definitely that op specialist versus tech argument that we've had, you know, way too many times. Mm-hmm. I I needed specialists. I needed operations specialists that knew a little bit about everything and were able to hit the ground, start helping out with stuff that may traditionally fall to some educators or faculty and other programs to help me push us forward. And again, that goes back to exactly like you said earlier. That is why I was only interested in hiring very experienced people, right? Yeah. And how hard was that? How difficult was that to find somebody? Because that's what we're trying to do. You know, some of the people in my organization have, no, 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 I don't want that person. They don't know enough. Well, unfortunately, that's not the reality of the world. I can't hire somebody all over the country that is 100% ready to go and up to speed. And even if they are, they don't, aren't up to speed to our way because I know that being a simulation operations specialist inside my organization is very different and it, it requires the the standard skill sets, but we require some interesting and unique skill sets. And that's for another conversation. Like I said, Phil and I are working on some projects and we will tease that out now and we will get that out later. But let's, let's go back to when we are looking for this person or when we have this person, you need to start with that needs assessment on them and just kind of go down. What do you know? What do you not know? Oh, you know, Laird all you've used Laird all for 25 million years. We use CAE. Okay. Well, how are we going to transition that person? How is the best way? Because a lot of it is parallel. Some of it is different versus somebody who's never done it. They were an EMT or a paramedic or something, and they are coming into the education field where I have to explain everything to them. Absolutely. So what we ended up doing, and 
I need to give some credit too to Tom Lamaster at the university. I think it's the University of Southern Florida. Uh, he gave a presentation at SimOps this year that was perfect timing for me, right? Because I was struggling with, I had just hired these two people. They hadn't started yet. I'm like, how the hell do I orient them? Yeah. Uh, and Tom just happened to have a presentation on how to orient SimOps. A great one. Uh, and of course, I go into that. They're in a school setting. They're slightly different than what I do. But still, the bones were there. And he was like, oh, this is how we do it. It's a six-month process. And I was like, okay, cool. I need to take your six-month process and make it happen in two weeks, right? <laughs> or over six months, but the majority of it has to be knocked right away. And one of the ways that I was able to do that is of the two people that I brought in, one of them has a significant IT background to the point that this person is, is very intelligent and has a degree in that, you know, information technology, computers, like they're going to be a great fit there. The other one comes with a ton of SIM experience. We don't really use a lot of standardized patients, but she comes with a lot of SP experience as well as a lot of CAE product and CAE learning space experience. That's great. So what, yeah, it's awesome because that's what, those are platforms, right? We are a hundred percent CAE. So even though, you know, he came with a lot of IT experience, but came from maybe a Laredal program. I can't remember exactly what they were using before. She brings the man. I've got them training each other and helping each other out yeah. and then checking back with me when they need to, you know, if it's specific to what I want them to do, then I'm involved or, well, hey, this is how we do things. I help them with that. But when it comes to like, hey, how do I fix this or how do I program that? Those two are both way smarter than I am, right? Like they know what they're doing and they're helping each other through that process. Mm -hmm. And it all comes down to that needs assessment. That was the first thing I did on day one is, hey, what are you strong at? Where can I help you? Okay, now over here, what are you strong at? Where can you help each other? And what do I really have to teach both of you versus you're going to learn from each other? And you have a non-traditional SIM sort of formula like I do. Your techs are not in the same location, are they? No. So my folks all live remotely and I fly them into wherever I need them. So of these two ops specialists, I have one in Colorado and one in North Carolina. So... And then they just fly out. Now, the other thing is they're not in labs at the same time because we are teaching every single week. There's only one of them in each of my labs. And so they're communicating via email, phone calls, et cetera. But it's not like they're right next to each other working on the same mannequin. It's if we want to get together in the same room, that's a virtual room. We're getting together via teams or something along those lines. Yeah. But keeping that communication up and making sure everybody's on the same page at all times is key. Trying to drag, you know, we have a whole bunch of unique personalities and in the simulation operations specialist. And those tend to have different levels of communication, but you got to make sure you drag everybody together and you go, folks, let's get together. And we've got to make sure that we are all on the same page. We're all marching in unison at one time so that we can all accomplish these goals. So David, this is something I don't have experience with that I know you've dealt with more than I have, but we're talking about needs assessment when we're bringing people in. What do you know? What do you not know? What is the what is the absolute bare bones if we're bringing in somebody who's never worked in simulation before, right? Like it's never tucked their mannequin. We hire that EMT. We hire a paramedic that's getting into SEM mm -hmm. uh, or we hire somebody from AV or somewhere else. You know, a lot of our friends have come in from other industries. Mm. How does that differ? I mean, how do we orient someone to the environment if they have zero understanding of what we actually do and all they saw was a cool job posting? So are we talking about like what skills am I looking for if they are not an SOS at all or are you looking... Nope. Decisions already been made. They, they are working for us. How do we, how do we approach that complete lack of simulation experience? Okay. That's somebody that I have shadow me at every time. And basically I document everything when I try to document things. And, and again, I, I will not say everything is documented to the level I want it, but the goal is always to document something to the level that 
I could pull somebody off the street. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I could walk somebody off the street and go, this is it. So when I document, I'm big on pictures, I'm big on visuals and things like that. And so when I have somebody new, I'm like, all right, guess what? We live off that calendar. You know what's coming up. You need to be looking at that calendar at all times, see what's coming up tomorrow, what's coming up the rest of the week and what's coming up in two weeks from now and be ahead of that. Stage up all my binders for this is this event, this is that event. Let's look at the first one and I make them break it open. I'm like, okay, so you tell me what we're going to set up. And depending on their experience, like you said, if they have nothing, I'm going to walk them more through it. But if they've got a little bit of experience, I'm going to say, okay, show me what we need to do. Show me what we need to get ready. Let's do it. And again, it's got to be documented to such a basic level, trying to keep all the little playing out of it as much as you can. And again, big on pictures so that they can at least get a framework and an understanding of what to do from there. Documentation is the key. That's actually when I started Sim, my former boss, who I've mentioned a hundred times, Dr. Tanike, he was like, you may want to do X, Y, and Z. You need to stay away from every one of those topics. We are not ready for the operations day to day as it goes. And that's what I need. And so he had me do all that is like, we have to be hundred percent ready for an operation 24 hours in advance. So I have to make sure that my Sims are 110% ready to go when I walk in there and I walk in usually a half hour, but I try to walk in an hour before the event. And some days I walk in and everything works and I drink coffee and some days everything's on fire and we do that. It's all about that pre-work, having them shadow me, walk through how I approach a Sim and how I set up for it. So that's the basics. Yeah. And you definitely have an advantage, right? That you're in the facility with the people that you're trying to orient, you know, whereas like I told you, I, I'm, I'm in Montana, one's in Denver, one's in, you know, North Carolina. Like I did meet with him for a week where we were in person together. And then the next week we switched everything over to where it was all remote for a week. And after that, they hit the ground running. They, I mean, they, they had two weeks of, we're going to try and get through as much as we can. And then, all right, after that, you just got to get in the lab. Cause and I think honestly, at some point that is the answer, right? I have to get you in the lab because I can tell you about this stuff for weeks. It's not until I see it out there to see it. Uh, and I'm definitely not claiming that I did this at all, like perfectly, right? There's, there's some growing pains that are going along with it, but you know, just trying to identify like, what do you need and how can we get you out there and operational? So how do we prioritize those things? You know, for me, my priority was I need you in the lab helping us get started running the simulators, fixing stuff as it's coming up. We do have a warranty through Echo Healthcare that we're using. And so my guys don't always understand like how to get in touch with them or whatever. It's not that it's difficult. It's just so easy. <laughs> I know it's not that it's difficult. It's just that they're so task saturated. My entire education team is so busy traveling all the time that the last thing they want to do on a Friday night is miss a flight to fix a simulator, right? Yeah. And so having the op specialist, like that be one of the, the main goals is, hey guys, you know what? You can immediately eliminate all of that work and stress from the education staff, mm -hmm. you know, the faculty. And by doing so, you're kind of buying your way in at that point, right? Now all of a sudden everybody loves you. Uh, even if they didn't quite understand having you before. And so I think that for us, like that was a number one, like how do we get you out there running simulators, fixing things? And then we take a look at saying, all right, what next? What comes after that? And what you just said is underestimated every day of the week, but it is something that people should always focus in. 
it is all about communication, but it's also about relationship building. How do we get that relationship? Again, it's like you said, it's taking some of the load off. I tell my educators, I'm like, if you let me, I will make you look like a freaking rock star. That's my job. And again, it's building that relationship. So that's another part. If you are new, be humble, learn, and then find every opportunity you can do to show them, hey, I'm just here to make you look cool. That is my job is here to support you. So I, I just wanted to call that one out because that's huge. Building that relationship is just way bigger than that can make every day you go to work, whether you hate it or whether you love it. And it's not something that happens overnight. You may go into some place as an SOS with a personality that you don't mesh with. You got to figure it out. You got to find a way and build that relationship. Well, and that, and that is the difference with our team, right? Like I have a team of, of 25 educators who have basically lived together for years, right? Like they travel every week. They're always together in labs. They spend four or five days a week teaching the same content over and over again, right? And so I have these people that are a, a pretty close-knit team, right? There's always stuff, but they, they're very close-knit. Uh, and then I bring in this SIMOP position that they didn't really understand. They don't really know where you're at. And so, you know, I don't, I, you should never have to come into a situation thinking, oh, I got to prove myself. But ultimately, the minute that you show, like, hey, this is what I'm here for, and this is how I'm going to make your life easier, like, now you're part of that team, too. Just like everyone else, when they got there, once they showed, like, these are my strengths, now you're part of the team, you're part of that family. And I think that's, you know, that's again, we differ from everyone else, but that's going to be huge once, you know, that's, and it's already happening. I'm getting emails and calls every week about how great these people are, how much you know th things are working. God. That's what it took was just, you know, hey, we don't really know how to use them. You know, and I had that call with a few of my educators. I don't know what to do with them when they get here. And I almost like for a lot of them, I just said, just let them do their thing. Exactly. Like they will find what they need to be doing. And if there is a question, then call me and we can work it out. But let them figure it out. Let them kind of figure out where they integrate. You know, I can't go out there and like beat your way into the team, right? You've got to go out there just like the rest of us and integrate with them. And then, and I'm already getting there. Like, hey, this person's amazing. They're really great. Hey, this person's really funny. I had a great time. Those are the connections that are going to be made with time that I think they're doing a great job of it. And the other thing is, if you've got that lone wolf system like you had where you didn't have one, it's making them understand they're not here to do anything more than support you because some people, you know, they don't understand it. it's new, it's different. And, you know, knowing that they're just here to support you, give you, this is what I'm doing to make you more supported so that you can take care of our students because that's what matters. So, you know, now, now that we kind of touched on that and I mentioned it as well, now you've mentioned it, how do we do the opposite of this? So like we're, we've already focused on like, what do we need to you know, make sure the SOS knows? What's the difference between an experienced person and an experienced person? You know, just finding the things that they don't already understand and making sure that we make that our focus. How do we get a, say a faculty member, an educator, even leadership, how do we get them to understand the role of the SOS? And I'm going to lean on you heavily for this because, you know, I've never truly been an operations specialist. I had that mini hats role where I was an educator and an ops specialist. I do all the things. What is the answer to that? Like, how do I go to my education team and say, I've got this person, they're going to make your life easier. And when I get the question of how, what's the answer to that? How are they going to make your life easier? So the complete honest answer to everything you just said is we need another episode or three on that. <laughs> because in all seriousness, how to approach leadership, how to make them understand, how to make the educator understand, things like that, how to not be threatening and it's a lot of content unto itself that's another topic. But in the basics is make sure that those people understand that we hired and paid well an experienced credentialed educator to train. They are not there 
to set up a mannequin, flush out an IV system, call Echo Healthcare to get something repaired. That, that is not their talent. Their talent is to make better outcomes through making great clinicians. And that is what it is. And really what it comes down to is the one simile I've been using is the whole stagehand. I mean, I used to be a concert stagehand back in the day, 96. And, you know, we didn't expect the artists to come in and unload the trucks, hang chains from the ceiling, to hang trusts, to run electrics, to run all that stuff. You need somebody who specializes in that. And you'll have subsets and your SOSs will be better in one thing and be a generalist in a lot of things, but then really good in this. And if you're fortunate enough to have a team of multiples, you, like you said, you're going to balance those skills and again, that's through a needs assessment. You know, if you had that one person, you're like, God, this is the real hole is the IT and that's my IT person. Well, that's great. They're a generalist in most things. And then they focus in some things. Uh, so, no, I agree. And, and to reference your theater and stage background, you know, I did the same kind of things in high school, working as both a tech and doing drama type stuff. But I do want to point out, because I think this is extremely important, that I was in third grade in 1996 there, David. So... <laughs> You're killing me. I'm just saying you're you're killing me. My wife does this to me too because she's nine years my junior. Yep. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I feel like we did cover it. I mean, that, those are the big things. You know, it's not just orienting the sim off themselves, but orienting the staff, the rest of everyone else to understand what that role is. And again, it depends too on if you're an established facility that already has those roles. It's not nearly as difficult as if we're bringing in new people or a, a first time, you know, having a sim op. Um, or trying to even say, hey, you know what, this is the, the difference between a tech and an op. Like, and I've had to explain that several times. So people will say, they'll say, oh, what about the Simtex? All right, I didn't hire Simtex, right? We hired SimOp specialists. Here is the difference. Uh, and I've been trying to kind of tear that wall down, too, just to remind people that like, it's not – there's more to it than what, than what we would consider that. Exactly. And, and like we've said before is I'm not even against the term SimTech. I really think SimTech can be that entry level, no experience or limited experience person. Again, there's people listening right now. They're screaming at the, at the speakers right now going, you idiot. And that's fine. But that's just my opinion. I think that allowing the overhead to let somebody grow into a SimOp specialist, which is a much wider angle lens and they have a much wider ability of things in logistics and operations. But, you know, going back to the crux of this topic, the thing you have to have done before you hire somebody is the documentation and know what got to tighten up what it is your program does, how they do it, and all of the steps you go about to doing those things, even as much as how are we changing a sim? Because if you're an educator, you worry about the educational fundamentals of how to change a sim. Well, as a sim op specialist, there are so many more things that goes into it. We have to document how we do the process of changing a sim after we've done it. We've identified a change we need to do and how many steps and how many people need to be communicated with, which again goes back to that the SOS needs to have a seat at the table because they have their own subspecialties and they will tell you, ooh, uh, that's not going to work that way. Or, oh, did you think about X, Y, and Z? As you're bringing this person on, you need to make sure your documentation is tight or at least exists in some sort of framework. And then one thing I love doing is when I bring a new person on sure a couple of people that I trained are listening to this going, yep, he did that to me. I say, you have two, two jobs. I said, you have to learn this and I'm going to teach you X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to teach you all this stuff, but you are also evaluating the process of onboarding itself. And what I need you to do is 
what you struggle with, you need to come back and let me know either I didn't understand it the way you taught it or you weren't even thinking about this topic at all and I didn't understand it. And then so you can reevaluate and improve your training as that person gets trained. You are reading my mind. I, I have that as a note to say something along those lines as well. My, my two new hires are effectively writing the orientation process for the next two people I hire. Yes. Right. Like this is, this is something I told them from day one. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I know what I need from you, but I don't know where all of your skills lie and what you do and don't know and where my program differs from where you came from. Like, I don't know all of those things. Right. So as we go through this, keep those notes and they've done a great job. They've been emailing me every week. Hey, the next time around, we might want to make sure we focus on this because it blindsided me today. Right. Right. Uh, and so those, that process improvement is huge. Mm -mm. You know, not orientation is not something that we just finish and we go, cool, it's done. Right. It's, Hey, we did this orientation process at the end of it. We get those feedback and evaluations. And we don't just do that with the sim ops. We do that with our clinicians too. Yes. There's an evaluation at the end of orientation. What worked, what didn't work. You know, and we're constantly improving that process. We make changes to our orientation class that they go through. We make changes to the orientation process, you know, over the years. Um, you know, we've actually shortened orientation, uh, not necessarily like it's, oh, you have to be done in this amount of time, but we've shortened orientation by improving the process and either removing things or moving them up earlier in the process where you're still doing it. You're just doing it at week two or three instead of later on. And so, yeah, making sure that you're always looking for ways to like, you know what, I'm going to come back to this and we're going to fix this uh, over time. And that's where I think kind of that ongoing mentorship or the one to two week check ins, you know, I, I do check in with my sim ops at least once a week, if not multiple times a week, just to say, hey, how are things going? What have you noticed in the labs this week? Like, is there anything that needs to be brought to my attention? How's the orientation process? And I had a conversation with one of them yesterday. I was like, here's the deal. I don't want you to feel like you're drowning, but I don't want you bored either. So if at any point you're ever like, I need something to do because they work one week from home and then one week in the lab. So if you're sitting around and you're like, I don't have anything to do, reach out to me because trust me, I've got something. Oh, yeah. Like we just need to figure out what it is. But I didn't want to throw everything at these two people on day one and say, here is the, here's everything. Right. Uh, and so it kind of ease into it. And you were probably task saturated yourself, not thinking about them and their off week. So, and that's the thing you want to make sure that as an SOS, you are internally motivated. All of us are wanting to improve our programs as we go. So the only thing I was going to go back and say is when you were talking about, you know, finding those needs and all that and document it, document it, document it. We all hate, I mean, not all, there are some absolute documentation organization rock stars out there. I will tell you, I don't love doing it, but it is so crucially important to your program, you have to make sure you are staying up on top of it because it will make or break you. Data collection, documentation, organization, these are the skills that you may not love. They're not the sexy skills, but they are so important to everything we do and making everything repeatable because we, anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. So I kind of touched on that mentorship slash ongoing. One of the things that something I'm figuring out as we go along, I think I have a slight advantage just because of how involved we are with organizations like SSH and SEMGhosts and all the people we've met over the years. But what does that ongoing education and professional development look like? Just slightly past orientation. I don't want to, because we could spend a whole episode on PD stuff, but what kind of things should we be building into that orientation process? Or maybe that first year where you're developing that mentorship program, what professional development should we really be focused on? That is whatever the needs of your facility is. So really, again, we go back to that needs assessment of, 
you need to see, okay, this person brought this skill set. What holes do I have? Or what do I want to expand in the next six months, year, or something like that? So when I was onboarded originally, you know, 11 years ago to Sim, my boss did needs assessment because he's super smart. And he was like, we suck at documenting. We suck at repeatability. We suck at being ready for admission the day of it. We're running around like chickens with their head cut off. So that is what I was to focus on. And I was supposed to lead that charge from day one, never doing sim before in my life. That's what I was tasked with bringing to the party. Yeah. And so in my end too, and you and I are involved in probably too many things, but uh, you know, for me, conferences and networking are extremely important, right? A lot of what I know about simulation didn't come from reading books or watching videos or even lectures. It came from, you know, meeting other people. Yeah. And so for me, that professional development piece for, for these two people and anyone else, one of the things I put down there is like, hey, you know, I want you guys to sign up for things like SimGhost. I want you to go to at least one conference a year, which we have the benefit of our company actually covers at least one event per year. That's awesome. So I, it's not like that's a huge out-of-pocket expense for them. And if possible, don't just go teach something, right? Take something that you know and go share it with someone else. And that's a very scary step. But it's good not only for the individual, it's good for the program. The program gets out there. They start helping other people. The community benefits. That person grows as both in their position but also within the community. And you start meeting all of those other people, start networking. And so for me, those were big things I asked for. It was like, hey, I want to see you involved in one of the organizations. Mm-hmm. And I mean, be involved. I don't mean pay your hundred bucks or $75 or whatever it is. And then just have the membership, get out there, be a part of the message boards, share information where you can go to one of those meetings or those events. If possible, I understand that's not always going to happen, but meet other folks and learn from them and bring that back to us. Cause we are constantly growing our program and our offerings based on things that I or other people have picked up through other organizations. You know, it happens. Conferences are so very, very, very important, and it is the classes you go to. You will learn a lot from them, but I would say at least half of the importance of a conference are the hallway conversations, the conversations over dinner, the interaction, and then you take those relationships home. I mean, Sim goes two years ago, Daniel Moore, you and I, we met him. He was awesome. I text with him all the time. And this is how I get inspiration. When I get random texts or operation specialists that text me and some people, they're like, oh, I don't want to bother him and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, you bother me because that is how I get motivated, how I get inspired and how I get to help others is when you're helping me. So even if you're asking me a question, you're going to make me frame it in some different way that I didn't think about it. And I'm like, oh, damn, hey, have you thought about this? Oh, how many years have you been doing this? One millisecond when I just thought about it. You know, I had a similar experience this year sitting down just in the lobby, not in any of the classes at one of the events and talking to someone. And I, I was working on writing something for another project, which I'm not yet ready to share just because I haven't finished it. And I need to get on that at some point. But just having a conversation in the hallway where I, oh, I'm almost done with writing this chapter for this thing, yada, yada, yada. And the guy goes, hey, do you think about this and this and this? And I said, well, I covered most of that. But no, I didn't think about, you know, soundproofing or acoustics or any of that. And he says, oh, well, I wrote a similar chapter for another book, right? So like you start meeting people who then prompt you. And now I have a reference to use because I can go to that person's thing they wrote and cite them for it, as well as I have someone I can call and say, hey, I want you to read this and let me know if I'm completely off base here. 
and you know a guy. Yep. You don't need to know everything. And that's things what I talk about is we're generalists. We know a whole lot about, I mean, our job is the juggler of a million details. We have to know a little bit about a lot of things, but then we know a guy, Jeremy Smith. He's my audio guy. He's left SIM and broken my heart, but I can still text him and go, dude, I don't get this. Help me out. Oh, have you thought about this? 15,000 different products that'll do it. This and do this hurts. And I don't, I don't, my brain doesn't go there. He's got it. Having your network is. I mean, at this point we're moved on to another topic that was important, but we've already recorded something on that. And I'm sure we'll be doing it again here in the future. Any closing thoughts on orientation that maybe we didn't touch on or anything we've said that you just really want to drive home? Everything you do, you should be process improving. You should be looking at how you can make it better. And again, you're using the people that are involved that are going through it to do it and that sort of thing. Um, the one thing we didn't key on is how long should an orientation process last? So I, I think you and I differ on this a little bit. And it's to me, it depends on the situation. It depends on how experienced someone is and what you're actually going to be using them for. As far as like in my team is completely autonomous, right? They are trusted to run their own hours, to take care of their own business. Orientation in general is an ongoing process. I didn't say, hey, we're going to do this for six months. We're going to do this for three months. I crammed a bunch of information in on two weeks, and then I'm doing continuous meetings. And so I don't really have a deadline of on the 6th of January, you will be off orientation. I just simply said, we will get through all of this stuff. And so for me, that's an ongoing thing. We're going to continue to keep working through stuff. We're going to keep adding it. But if I had to put a number to it, I think that five to six month mark, at least the orientation itself can be done at that point and then shift more into that mentorship slash ongoing professional development after that point. But everything you should be able to, honestly, you should be able to learn any job in six months, right? We should be able to take anyone through it. And I agree with every single thing you just said. A lot of people like to put the two week to, you know, one week thing on there. But the problem is our job is very, very complicated. There's so many different pieces to it that you're not going to see XYZ piece for six months. You may not see every SIM for a year if you work for a residency or something like that, like I used to. But knowing the processes of how we approach things is going to be the same. So having that intro period of this is what we're doing, then we make them kind of the whole see one, do one, teach one sort of thing. So actually, I, I agree with everything you just said is I think it's going to take longer than you think. You may want it to be uh, shorter, but it's going to take longer than you think. But then the next topic I want to talk about is expectations. And to me, that's a big one, because when you hire someone, whether they've had an SOS and they're replacing that person or you're introducing the concept of SOS to your faculty, you need to make sure that you're setting the expectations of that person with the faculty. And the reason why this is so important is I've seen a lot of places where they start an SOS and one, they, they're used to me. They're used to how I do things. I try to spoil my faculty. So they just come in, they work on what they're strong with. Well, that new person doesn't have they don't have my experience. They don't have the way that I do it. And they're going to approach it differently. Or they may not have a certain skill set. There's a, a certain thing that they have that I don't have. But there's a way that I do things that's crucial that they may not have. And having that faculty ready for you're going to be part of this orientation process too. You need to communicate with them what you expect out of them and give them full communication. They cannot read your mind. And you need to allow them time to get up to speed in your mind because you're used to me. 
this isn't me. This is somebody totally different. And they're amazing and they've got a great skill set, but it's going to be different. So setting the expectations of the faculty to me and reminding them of that, because I see faculty sometimes get frustrated with a new person and it's got to be understood to give them that leeway. Yeah, no. And one of kind of my closing point on this, on this entire topic, right? It goes back to what do we need to look at on an orientation beyond just the technical, like, okay, this is what I need you to know. This is what I need you to do. Here's how we're going to accomplish that. The other thing that I think is very important, and this doesn't matter if it's a sim op or if it's an educator, we've all been at a job where we were really excited when we got started. And then after three or four or six months, or maybe it was two or three years, you just got to a point where you weren't happy anymore, right? Like you just got bored. Like there was nothing else going on. Nothing was really challenging you. It wasn't pushing you anymore. And so I think part of that orientation process is you've got to get to know your employees. Mm -hmm. Maybe not not everything about them. I don't really need like maybe not their dogs names and all that stuff, but at least get to know your employees. What drives them? What <laughs> motivates them? What are they really excited about? And then give them the opportunity to either deploy that or to learn more about it, improve upon it, et cetera. Right. So like if, you know, if I hired you, David, and you came in and you're like, Hey, I really enjoy moulage or I really enjoy game development or whatever it is. If you come in and say, these are the things that I really care about make sure you're paying attention to that, right? Because that's how that's how you're going to help this person grow. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but how you're going to help them stay in love with their job, keep them long-term. Because what we don't want to do is a year or two from now be running this orientation process again because we weren't able to retain somebody. Uh, yeah, And so huge. give them that opportunity for either professional development or say, you know what, I have a need for a moulage guy. Or, hey, you know what, we're working on some serious games. I need your help or your input on this. Yeah, okay, it's a clinical thing and you're not entirely clinical. But if game development really is your thing, you can help me with mechanics. And so make sure that you are getting to know your employees enough that you're keeping them engaged, that you're keeping them excited to come to work. I never held a job for more than three years. I always moved on to something else until my current position. And it doesn't happen every day. But one of the reasons I'm still here and still doing everything I can or and, and everything I am doing is because it, at the end of the day, I still wake up the next day excited to go to work. I still know I'm going to get challenged. I'm going to get to push things. Exactly. I've been given enough leeway to create new stuff. And sometimes it doesn't work out as well as I wanted to. And I'm willing to admit that not every project I've ever taken on was ended up with the grand you know, concept of what I thought it was going to be. Right. But that support from leadership, that support from your supervisor, your boss, you know, even the other people on your team, your equals acknowledging like that's your thing and that's what you want to focus on. That's important in orientation and beyond to make sure that we are keeping people retained or that we are tapping into their skill set. And I also want to have one new thing as an advice for someone who's coming on to a new program, whether you're experienced or not, you need to temper your expectations. And by that, I mean, you may be very excited about a certain topic, you may see a huge hole and that you want to push that agenda and you want to push that as improving the organization. you got to make sure that that is what the organization's ready for. That's what they want and how to approach it in such a way that it will be accepted. And I know this is a little obscure, but what I mean is if you're bull in a China shop and you run in and say, everything should be this topic, you're going to get a whole bunch of people that are going to turn their backs on you and you will not get support from. Whether you're mentoring a new hire or whether you are that new person, be willing to backseat something. And, and an example of this is me in moulage. When I was in Civil Air Patrol as a kid, I did moulage and I love Halloween. It's the favorite and it's great. But when I walked in the door for Sim at first, 
my boss had said, I just paid for this guy to go to a class. You are not to touch moulage. You are to stay away from it. You are not to do it at all. And I'm telling you for the first five to six years in sim, I wasn't able to touch a drop of blood because he had other things that he wanted me to focus on and do. Then when that opportunity presented itself, I was able to take it and run. Doesn't mean I didn't, wasn't playing with blood at home and things like that, but tempering the expectations of you see the opportunity that you can bring something to an organization. You got to make sure you're doing it in a right way that will be open because I've seen a lot of people get their hands smacked, get their heads kicked in, and they may have been right in the, what they were trying to present, but the way you go about it, either too excited or they weren't ready for it. Work with your management and just temper expectations that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. You're doing things in baby steps. Absolutely, man. And all good points, right? And I think that applies to all job. You don't ever want to walk in and just start trying to make changes right away. There might be a reason that things are being done the way they're being done, or you may just have to you know, spend enough time there to kind of get your foot in the door. People start to trust you and then it's a little bit easier. But I mean, that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to take in in 45 minutes or an hour or whatever this has been tonight. You've heard my closing thoughts on this. Do you have anything else you want to add? We want to hear what you have to say. We want you to interact with us on these episodes, leave comments. We're on every social platform. The reason we are is so that you can interact with us. What did we miss? We're reevaluating just this episode as we go. What did we miss? What did we miss the boat on? What do you disagree with? And my closing thoughts are, we want you to interact with us. We want you to push this on and you tell us the things that we did right, we did wrong and things like that. And I, the only thing I'm going to add to that is if there is something you want to hear us cover, we are always looking for episode suggestions. We may modify it a little bit from what you send in to us, but if you can send us something that you really want to hear us talk about, regardless of what it is, anywhere in the simulation realm, or if you've got something that you feel really passionate about and feel like you might be able to bring to the table with us, feel free to reach out, let us know what you've got going on, and we might be able to work something out. So with that, we appreciate you listening to the Sim Geeks podcast and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Good night.